It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. This is John Suntress uh, with an important plea for 2023. Uh, you probably read the headlines. Uh, Word Balloon took a sponsorship hit. That was pretty significant, and uh, I'm asking you if you've ever been a fan of Word Balloon and considered uh, making a donation through Patreon, uh, a very uh, meager but important subscription, I hope you'll consider it. Um, It's going to be a challenging 2023, and uh, I need your help. So if you like Word Balloon, if you enjoy the content, I'm not going to slow down and keep bringing you some excellent content, but uh, I could really use your help via Patreon, patreon.com slash word balloon if you can afford the price of a comic book if you can even afford a dollar a month it would be greatly appreciated and uh, help the cause to uh, keep word balloon going at the level and intensity that I've been doing uh, in the last uh, four or five years and uh, bring you a lot more content and uh, a lot of great uh, interviews and interesting things about the pop culture world patreon.com slash word balloon I could really use your help Thank you for your attention, your time, and listening to Word Balloon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Michael Jan Friedman is back. He's got a new Kickstarter campaign going on for a collection of short stories called Thalus and Other Stories. We talk about some of the stories in detail and get into a very long conversation about Star Trek because Mike is one of my favorite Star Trek novelists. He uh, has written uh, dozens of Star Trek books over the years and some of my absolute favorites. So it's great to talk to him about uh, his books, but also Star Trek in general. You know, I can't help it. It's my favorite show. It's like other people are with Star Wars. That's how I am with Star Trek. You know, you get the drill. Anyway, Michael Jan Friedman on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by AlexRossArt.com. Alex has been a longtime sponsor of Word Balloon. I greatly appreciate it. you got to go to his website. You will find tremendous art from original work, covers, pages, fantastic lithographs, amazing posters. Every price point is covered, and every subject is covered at alexrossart.com. You've enjoyed his iconic looks at DC and Marvel, but also great stuff 
like his wonderful work on The Monkees, Monty Python, so many other great pop culture things that Alex has put his fingerprints on. His wonderful Flash Gordon poster that evokes the fantastic Dino De Laurentiis, Sam Jones movie. Recently, Alex did things like uh, the timeless Marvel covers featuring great solo shots of all your favorite Marvel heroes. And of course, his Fantastic Four full circle graphic novel still available. All waiting for you now at alexrossart.com. Welcome back, everybody. Time again for Word Balloon, the comic conversation show. John Suntress here with one of the masters of genre fiction. I've enjoyed his work for decades. I'm so glad he's back with a brand new collection of fantasy and, and sci-fi tales. Uh, Thalos, I'm going to get it. Thalos and other stories from Michael okay. J. Friedman. Welcome, Michael. Yeah, welcome. Well, thanks for thanks for uh, having me on. You know something? I have to do one thing. I just realized I'm looking at my myself, and and it's kind of dimly lit. Give me one second. I'm All right, see me in the dark, but feel free because you look fine to me. <laughs> We're going to not only talk about Mike's new collection of short stories uh, that he's putting out through Kickstarter. The Kickstarter campaign is underway. But later on, we'll also talk about some of my favorite Star Trek novels that uh, Mike has uh, written over the years. But uh, so tell us about Thalos and other stories. This is a collection. Are they are they just fantasy or is it fantasy sci-fi? What genres are you playing with now? It's uh, it's fantasy. There's science fiction and there's superhero stories. Oh, great. Um, yeah. 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 Um, this is the the fourth collection of of my work that uh, of, of my short fiction. You know, for when when I started out, everybody said, you know, you have to write some some short stories, and then after you get a following, you you know, you can go on and write longer stuff and novels, perhaps. I went about it backwards, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as I've done a lot of things actually that way. And I and I started writing novels, and and you know they were accepted and and published, and it was a while before I ever wrote a short story, and it was daunting to tell you the truth because you know short stories uh, you don't have a lot of room to play, you know right. you can't go off on tangents. Um, it's you know every every square foot is valuable real estate. And uh, and you got to make a difference with each square foot. So um, it was daunting. And then I, you know, I wrote one and then I wrote another and and I kind of liked it. Uh, but I was still writing novels. That was still my my uh, stock in trade. And then um, recently, like in the last 10 years, I started developing a taste for writing short stories. You know, ideas were coming to me that really didn't have the the legs to become novels, and um, and before you know it, it, it was like it was like a bug. I just couldn't stop writing short stories to the point that that now um, I write a lot more of those than um, than longer form work. It's really funny how how that's kind of turned around. But um, this is the, it's called Thalos and Other Stories. It's the um, fourth collection of my short fiction. Uh, this, this, is the cover? this is the cover. It's a, it's a detail from the cover. Okay. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's about the, the title story, uh, which is Thalos. And Thalos is sort of a, it's a science fiction Mm, 
almost like a Star Wars kind of science fiction with with its roots in Greek mythology. I was going to say being Greek. I'm like, wait a minute. I know that name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, right. Well, I mean, it's it. You know, it's it's the way a lot of people pronounce the the name D E L O S, right? Which is a a a a, a location in Greece, and um, I'm not going to tell you any more about it because I don't want to give too much away. Okay, but, okay. Um, but if you if you're familiar with Greek mythology, as you read this story, you'll gain a depth of understanding little by little. That uh, that makes it a little different from from other things you've read. That's great, man. I, you know, and uh, here, forgive the uh, Greek pride because I am a massive fan of mythology. And in fact, uh, you certainly, with your Aztec uh, books, I think get into now the Aztec culture, but also Az Aztecian uh, mythology and stuff. And I like Norse mythology. I don't know, man. I, I, I for me, it's Greek mythology. I really think those are like the the real. The ones, the ones that spoke to me, and not just because I'm Greek, and maybe because Mike, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years younger, but I saw those uh, sword and sandal movies from the <laughs> right, right. Sons of Hercules, as the as the package was called back in the day when they'd show them on Saturday afternoons on independent TV. So yeah, right. I don't know, man. I, I I think I'm more of a as, and I hey, I love Thor, you know, mm -hmm. right. right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think Greek mythology really is is fun, and I also love the idea of tying it to science fiction. You know, again, our age and stuff, Chariots of the Gods, uh, uh, what's his name, Eric? Uh, Von Daniken? Von Daniken, thank you, thank right, you. Right. Yeah, you know, that book and that documentary mm -hmm. came out when we were kids and everything, and, you know, all that stuff just lit my imagination. But I do see a, a great connection between Greek mythology and uh, and sci-fi. Right, right. And and in fact, you know, I've, I've dabbled in, you know, I had – uh, a trilogy. The first three books I, I've ever uh, I ever published were. Um, uh, oh wait, what? There's a. Oh, there's you want to see it? Okay, I'm, put, I'm putting. I'm putting it. I don't mean to, uh, you know, interrupt interrupt your train of thought. But when uh, people make funny comments, I'm happy to uh, put that up. Yeah, there. yeah. So Mike Mike Edmonds says he's an Aztec at heart. We silopotli, uh, right? Okay, good, <laughs> good. Um, but uh, so, in addition to the Aztec stories. Um, I have uh, uh, my, the first book I did uh, as a member of Crazy Eight was called Fight the Gods, and that was um, that was a contemporary fantasy, New York fantasy, with its roots also in in Greek mythology. Oh, that's uh, great, man! Yeah, I, yeah. I, uh, I and I'm glad you mentioned Crazy Eight because I meant it to mention it earlier. This is your uh, friends that you are all together and uh, doing amazing. Uh, standalone novels but also anthologies where you all contribute and these are guys like our friends paul kupperberg and peter david is part of that group uh give me some of the other uh, crazy eight people uh bob greenberger and of course. Uh, uh uh glenn howman uh mary fan uh hildy silverman russ um Colchimiro, and aaron rosenberg i know i'll be leaving somebody out and they'll kill me uh, who else? Um, yeah, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Jeff Thorne, who's a, Thorne. who's a great guy and uh, and and uh, uh, writes um, uh, for television as well as for uh, for uh, in, you know in print. Sure. Um, and uh, I think I hope that's it. <laughs> I hope that's it. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Anyway, there's ten of us. So 
So, you know, and that's the crazy part, right? Crazy oh. eight. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in, in, in crazy eight, which is our independent, uh, publishing, um, group, um, we, uh, we, we have the freedom to, to write that, which, that, which we would want to read, right? Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no publisher telling us, well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You could do that. Maybe you can do that. You know, we just do, um, what's, what's, uh, closest to our hearts, the thing that we want to write, the thing that we would read. And, uh, it's so, so these are our most authentic visions and, um, and, Delos and other stories is is very much the kind of thing that I would want to read if I were if uh, if if um, uh, if I were buying a book. Uh, it's it's um, you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone, right? As I'm sure you are. And um, uh, one of the things that you often saw in, in, in those stories was a little twist at the end. Absolutely. Right? Uh, the twist, the twist is not enough in and of itself, you know, to, you know, to justify the time and effort that you spend in, in reading a short story. But if it's got the twist, it's a little value added. So I, I always, I always try to have something at the end that surprises the reader. You know, that's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, Obviously, I'm sure uh, Serling and the Twilight Zone uh, writers were all inspired by O. Henry and those mm-hmm, great short mm-hmm, stories of right, his time and right. everything. But no, I totally agree with you. No, those, I mean, those Twilight Zones, it's, it's like Soylent Green is people, you know, uh, to serve man. It's a cookbook. You right. know? <laughs> it's a cookbook. Right, right. Or my, one of the other favorites, Agnes Moorhead, The Invaders, where she's the old lady and you never hear her speak and everything. and. The, right, you know they they are there's an invading ship, and at the end, it, yeah, I'm spoiling I'm spoiling seventy year old uh, Twilight Zones, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's like you know it's uh it's an American uh, spaceship uh, first uh, off off planet right. mission and stuff. So right. they're the good guys, not to hurt. The 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 thing I shoot for that, and I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in this regard. The thing I'm, I shoot for is is what you saw in the Usual Suspects, you know. The dominoes are falling one after the other, and it's all very logical, and you're following it without any trouble, and you get to the end, and you realize it's not what you thought. And all of a sudden, the dominoes are falling in the other direction. You're going, oh, wait a second. When he did that, it was that. It wasn't that. It was that. <clears throat> and that's that's what I try to, to do in, in every story. I try to have a little of that, where you go, I thought I was reading this. I'm actually reading that. That's excellent, man. Uh, tell us about some of the other stories. Um, one of them is called Trash Talker. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I can't say anything about it. It's, I, know, I shouldn't even have brought it up to tell you the truth. But um, it's, uh, it's about a detective. It's a police procedural. Okay. <laughs> and I guarantee it's like no other police procedural you've ever seen in, or, or heard of in your life. Um, I also, you know, there's uh, in in these uh, collections of short stories, I, I have a couple of running um, collections. One is the City of a Thousand Gods. Okay. And um, in the City of a Thousand Gods, it's a it's a it's a kind of um, 
fantasy city um, along the lines of, of what you might see in maybe Lord of the Rings or something like that, except it's full of temples to gods, gods that actually exist. Okay. And, and um, so some of them are, are, are funny, you know, like, you know, you know, God of uh, last Thursday's uh, newspaper or something like that. But, um, and some of them are very, you know, powerful and, 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 and um, solemn gods. But um, things take place. So, you know, every, every time I write about the city of a thousand gods, I write about one time I write about a, a budding attorney in, in that milieu. Uh, another time I write about a, uh, uh, essentially, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's not much more than a medieval le- level of civilization, but, you know, I write about essentially a gumshoe, uh, uh, an investigator. Um, another time, um, in this, in this particular case, I'm writing about a guy who hangs out with thieves. He's, he's a serving guy in, in, in a tavern that caters to thieves and, um, and the thieves are a hoot, you know, they're, they're constantly stealing things from each other so quickly that you don't even, even they don't know that they're being stolen from because they're so intent on stealing from someone else. Um, so, so that's, so the city of a thousand gods is one of the themes that, that runs through these collections. That's great. That's, that's cool that there's a runner like that. Is there mm-hmm. another, is there another, uh, group? There is, there is. And this is an homage to the Legion of superheroes and it's called the company of enhanced beings. <laughs> Not too different, but different enough, right? I hear you. No, no, that's cool. And, is it said um, in the future as well as uh, like the Legion, or no? It's, it's, you know, in my mind, it is, but we never, we never um, make that that clear. Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's an intergalactic uh, setting, uh, not intergalactic. It's interplanetary, intersystem. Okay. And, um, uh, and you have this, this. Um, group of young superheroes, and and what I try to do is um, the other the, the other thing I do in addition to the you know little twist at the end is I try to demystify things that that you know have always been seem mystical to me like superheroes, you know. So these are all superheroes, and and um, and like the, the Legion of Superheroes, it's. There's a lot of lad and lass and boy, you know, in, in these names. Um, and uh, in one story, I, I describe what it was like to try out. Oh, fantastic. For, Just like the old issues. Absolutely. Right? I mean, we always see, particularly, uh, I, I recall when they were, when they were, when they were doing stories about the Legion of Substitute Heroes, you would see them, uh, you know, applying for membership and then they'd be turned down and they oh no it's kind of a bummer but you know really it must have been it must have been wrenching a wrenching experience whether they got in or not you know this is the culmination of of their of, of their existence to that point and um and and you know I, in, in my in my stories about them you know when you see somebody trying out you know, before they get 
in front of the, the panel that's going to uh, review them and their powers, you know, they're throwing up in the bushes. You know, they, <laughs> they're so nervous. They can't, they can't stand it. So, so that's, um, uh, that's the type of thing I do in these stories. And, and um, uh, this particular story about the, the um, company of enhanced beings is about, I, I was thinking one of the things that that always kind of intrigued me was when they it were the stories that showed Cosmic Boy or Saturn Girl or Lightning Lad with their older sibling. Sure. You no, know, right? Like, you know, Lightning Lad Lord. and Lightning Lord. Absolutely. Right? And and their relationship. That must have been crazy. Yep. So so I have a a, such a relationship is is at the core of um, of the, new, the uh, company of enhanced being story in in this volume. That's great, man. Oh, I love I love hearing that. That's fantastic. Brad has a question. Calling mm-hmm. back uh, something we were just talking about. Uh, w- will uh, Maxla Kolhua show up in the uh, anthology? That is your uh, Aztec detective. Am I correct? Right. Right. Brad. Uh, no. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there's no room for Maxla in this in this uh in this anthology uh which is not to say that we won't you know that we won't have another mashla kalua story somewhere along the line perhaps another novel but um you've done uh, three or four of uh mashla's well, uh, stories so far i i did um the first volume that i did was two uh two um novellas put together uh and then uh i, I did a recently about a, I guess about a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. I think that's the first time we talked. I did a um, uh, a novel, full length novel, and um, I also I also did a one off, which is what Brad's referring to, um, uh, a prequel to these other stories that appeared in one of my in one of my collections. So, good question, Brad. But no, no, Meshla is not this time. No, that's great, man. Do you want to rattle off the titles of your uh, your other short story collections for people to look for? Oh, yeah. Read by both of these runners, and uh, yeah, I'd be interested to read the other stories and everything. Now, you would think this would be an easy thing for me to do. I'm sorry, buddy. I, I, <laughs> it, so, so I, what I did is I, I made a mistake when I, when I started doing these. I thought, you know, it would be funny to say, you know. Um, uh, the um the uh the title of the story and then and other you know and other um uh, uh compelling uh revelations of the muse right and so so i did that and then and that got to be really really hard because i <laughs> like i can't remember them that's okay. that's my problem and um and uh you know, another is that it, it never fit. It never fit on a page <laughs> very well. So let's see. Let's see if I have. Um, hmm, I don't have them handy. I'm even. But I'm I, even going to look it up as well uh, while we're yeah, talking. But uh, yeah. So so um, the most recent one I did before this was the immigrant and other tales. That's an easy one to remember. Very nice. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and uh, um, the, the, um, the second one, the one that preceded that, was called Headless and Other yada 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 of the muse <laughs> and uh um what was the first first one john i should know this they're my books right? i'm sorry for asking you like this we're putting <laughs> you on the spot no I'll, I'll can... this out. it's um <laughs> oh cabal cabal and other okay yada 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 of the sure. muse um but um but but one of the things you know um it used to be when I was, you know, when I first got into publishing, it used to be that, you know, no publisher really wanted to do a collection of your short stories, right? It, it, these, they didn't sell as well as novels. And even if you were Stephen King, they went, eh, I don't know, do we have to, do we have to do this short story stuff? Nobody really wants to hear this. And uh, which is why Stephen King had to, had to, publish a collection of short stories under a different name right right um and a different contract but um but but with the advent of the internet things have changed people really sometimes you can buy just the short story just Absolutely. one and and so there's all kinds of uh, of options for writers that didn't exist before um and and ironically collections of short stories do very well in the age of the internet. So, I can see that though, because you know, it's a good travel kind of self-contained story. And um, yeah, I mean, so no, that's great. And then truly I've appreciated efforts like you and your other crazy eight uh, collaborators and everything that have come up with these anthologies. Cause you're right. I, and also thankfully the fact, especially with again, you and your collaborators at crazy eight, you guys have cultivated your own audiences. So you kind of, I, I think, sense 
the kind of thing that they are interested in. And again, your your track record. I mean, that's the great thing is, I mean, you're you're proven, I think, to a lot of us that have enjoyed your work over the years. It's like, all right, we know we're gonna get something good. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, um, I think I think there is something something to that. You know that people know what to expect, and if they and if they liked it, they'll they'll come back and and you know revisit you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's I mean, something. It's like stars. It's like actors that get bigger than the stories themselves is I want to see a Jimmy Stewart movie. You know, I want, I want to see a Spencer Tracy movie. I want to see a Tom Hanks movie, you know, right. Saying, all right. I, I know what I'm getting and I'm going to enjoy it. Right. And, and there's something, something about the short story. The short story is really, I think a, um, more, um, I'm going to say valid, more valid form for for uh, science fiction, and fa- uh, well, for science fiction for sure, because you have a science fiction concept, and yeah, you can stretch it out into a novel, and and it might be a good one, but um, but uh, if you can if you can get it into a short story, without you know without rushing it and and develop it fully in a short story, I think that's really the best format for science fiction ideas get in here's here's the idea isn't this cool and get out understood brad had a second question and i know we've already discussed this but i'll let you tell him again um he says the artwork that we saw for thalus suggests sword and sorcery will we see these types of stories so yeah will there be more yeah obviously you just described some of the other genres that you're playing with in this collection are there other fantasy stories there are fantasy stories there's um this is um, sort of a hybrid, uh, swords and sorcery and science fiction, sort of what what you might what you might see in Star Wars, as I, as I said. Um, there are uh, fantasy stories, contemporary fantasies, um, and um, and there is science fiction, and there are other superhero stories. You know, the I love the superhero story. To tell you the truth, if I had to. If I had to write a book about just in one genre, it would probably be superheroes. I just the I, these ideas just come to me, and I go, I have to write that. I have to write that. I'll give you an example. So one of the stories in the book is called Veneer. Veneer. Veneer, and it's about a guy who um, who came across a um, sort of a suit. Um, in the in the wilderness somewhere, and it was really an alien artifact. And what it does is it encapsulates him in this. It's not really a um, metal. It's it's just a a um, almost like an aura. Okay. Right. And but it encapsulates him. He feels like he's in something. And. Um, and uh, he was a very big hero at one time. And then he got older and he kind of you know, got out of the business a little bit. And he, he had a family and his daughter had children. Now he's a grandfather. And he's got a place in Colorado. And, and his daughter and his grandchildren, everybody's coming to visit him. And they're having a big family weekend when one of his old enemies shows up. Now... A lot of these stories um, come from things in my life. Now, I'm not a grandfather yet, but 
but I do have uh, uh, a, I'll say, an unusual form of claustrophobia. Okay. okay, which came up just today, just today, as we were, my wife and I were transporting a bed uh, in my in my outback, and my seat was all the way pushed up near the near the uh, um, dashboard. the dashboard, right? And um, it's it's I, I can get into a crowded elevator, no no problem, but I can't feel things against me. I can't, I can't stand it. Um, you know, so when I feel confined in that respect, it's, it's intolerable and it's gotten worse over the years. Wow. And, and so here's this, this guy who, who wears the veneer, um, when he's younger and now he's got to save his, he's got to, he's got to do something about this enemy who's, who's come after him during this family weekend and his, his, Families' lives are at stake, and what he's got to do is put on the suit again, put on the veneer, and he can't because he's got this kind of claustrophobia that I have. He can't. He just he can't stand the thought of feeling it against him, right? And he goes through all kinds of, you know, well, what if I were to do this, or what if I, maybe I could just try to do this? Maybe if it was only for a few. He tries all kinds of things and he can't. It's a real quandary. Wow. And his family's lives are hanging in the balance. Very interesting. That's cool. That sounds great, man. So, yeah. Well, I was going to ask if uh, some of these superhero ideas, and again, you've certainly spent your time in, in comic books as well. Um, do you ever think about uh, getting an artist and, and making it a graphic novel? or? Uh... Well, I did, um, I did uh, a graphic novel a few years ago. Uh, called Empty Space. In fact, wait, hang on a second. This I do have. Handy. I do have at uh, at my beck and call here. I have my finger. Zoom in. There we go. Yeah, this is called Empty Space. It was done with a, with an artist, a Brazil, great Brazilian artist, Caio Cacau, and um, it's a kind of a space opera thing. And the the idea. Let me let me find an, a nice yeah. page to show you. The idea is that um, here, this is a, it's a nice spread. I don't know if I could yeah do it justice. No, it looks great. No, his art looks amazing. Absolutely, right. cool. And What's it about? It's uh, it's about well, the idea is that out in space, you can't you can't replenish if you're really out in space. You can't replenish your crew as as often as you would like because it involves coming all the way back to earth or or at least a, a satellite uh situation um a space station and um and so what would happen is these ships would go out and they would lose crewmen and then they'd be understaffed so they developed this technology for resurrecting dead crewmen oh god <laughs> it could only be done once it could only be done once right. and 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 it's temporary. It only lasts about a year, and then they go crazy and they die. Okay. But in the meantime, you can you know you avoid that understaffing situation. <laughs> um, and so and the and so these guys because they have emotional deficits as well, they're called empties. So therefore, empty space. Cool. And, um, 
my next solo project, which probably won't take place for another year or so, um, is is um, a prose novel that serves as a sequel to the graphic novel. Oh wow! I thought that'd be that'd be interesting. Well, Brad Brad read uh, Empty Space, so that's cool, and uh, I'm sure he's yeah. excited to hear that a sequel is on the way. That's great, man! Fantastic. So yeah, and again, that's the thing. Then you are you are you're a good world builder, and uh, I think uh, your your high concepts are terrific. Um, yeah, so that that's great. I wanna I wanna if it's okay, I wanna talk a bit about what you what you've done in in Star Trek over the years because I think you've one of my favorite titles of a Don Fagan song, "Walk Between the Raindrops," and yeah. you know it you know from the Nightfly, and um, you know I I always appreciate. Uh, because of the framework of Star Trek and, and we come in already understanding it and everything you've written short stories and novels for Star Trek, correct? Uh, a few short stories. Yes. Uh, uh, mostly mostly yeah. novels, but, yeah, but of course, mostly novels. Yes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And what was good about those was, um, was I was pitching ideas to the shows and, and, you know, some of the, you know, I would get like, you know, a few different kinds of responses. I would, you know, they would say, yeah, Mike, this is great. It's already in development, you know, sure, or, sure. right. Right. Or, um, or yeah, this is good, but it just doesn't quite fit what we're doing. You know, it would have fit the other show better. Right. So I put that one away. And then when, when I had a chance to do, uh, um, a comic story or a short story, short prose story. I dragged that one out again, and I said, "Well, they didn't think it was too bad. Maybe we can, maybe we can do something with this." So nothing, nothing went to waste. That's cool. Was um, for the novels and really even at DC when you were doing the comic book for Star Trek. Um, was Paramount or anybody from Paramount part of the vetting for either the novels or the comics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a, initially, um, there were actually two offices at uh, at Paramount <coughs> that that initially did that. One was um, was the licensing department, which was which was uh, always staffed by by um, somebody like Paula Block, who you know who knew what they were doing and knew writing. And if they told you, well, you can't do this, but here's an, another option. Oh, great! Might like they were very, very good about it. Wow! And then there was then there was Gene Roddenberry's office, which for a while was like an, another layer of of approvals. And Gene, I don't think Gene actually ever saw what we were working on, but but in his office, it was very, it was very much like, no, you can't do this. Ah, uh, you just don't. no 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 yeah no explanation. Just to give you an idea. <laughs> we so um when we were writing the um the uh comics you know for dc uh, i was writing the next generation comic you would have occasionally you would have you know the character's thoughts sure in a, in a caption yeah and uh like you know they're thinking you know gee this this alien seems helpful, but is he really? You know, that kind of thing. Certainly. And, and we got a comment from Gene's office. No, you can't do this. 
And, and, and the classic line was, our characters don't think. <laughs> and I kind of, I like, after, I, I kind of got it. Like, when you see them on TV, there's no voiceover telling you what they're thinking. Usually, Certainly. Right? So they said, no, no, our characters don't think. <laughs> so you so it, had its, it had its, its, uh, its, um, its speed bumps. Sure. That, that process. Honestly, man, I, I, I constantly pour over uh, Mark Altman and Roger, I believe it was Roger Lace, who was his co-author of those oral history yeah. uh, Star Trek things that he just released a couple of years ago. And uh, he called it the 50-year mission. And, right. Um, and Roddenberry's notes for Next Generation, especially at the beginning, like no conflict amongst the crew. And it's like, yeah, but as you and Mike and I know you're nodding and agree, obviously agreeing. I mean, we all know it's like, no, that's where story comes from is right. conflict. They don't have to hate each other. They don't have to want to kill each other. But disagreement isn't a bad thing. you know. And that's why, thank God, I think Deep Space Nine always was my favorite show. Well, I should say once it's found once it found its footing. Because obviously, just like most television shows, and especially when you're dealing with 26 episodes in a season, there's hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And um, and I have to say, going back to the first season of Deep Space Nine, a lot of it plays better now than I think it did when at first it was so different from Next mm-hmm. Generation. I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I like all the actors, and of course, I'm happy to see Miles O'Brien get a little more uh, agency. But you know, I wasn't sure. But yeah, it's like it. It and certainly that was. You know, I mean, obviously, poor Gene passed away midway through Next Generation and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's Deep Space Nine. I mean, I love the original series. And I, I love them all. Yes, well, new new Star Trek, I, I shake my fist at every now and then from my porch. But, uh, but uh, you know, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a favorite of the, of the groups? Uh, well, well, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure Deep Space Nine was my favorite. But. I will tell you, it was the best written. They had the best episodes and the best writing, and and the and the the decision to 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 depict a war. Wars are always compelling, right? Yes. I mean, that yes. was a great decision. So, so Deep Space Nine, pro, you know, certainly the, the the you know the best written of the of the Star Trek series. Um, I think I think my favorite. It's either going to be the original series or um, uh, or Next Generation. Sure. Um, and again, not because it was necessarily um, always the best written, but but it was compelling. It was compelling. Kirk was a very compelling character, yeah. and in a very different way, Picard was very uh, uh, compelling as well. So you know, I, I really I really enjoyed those those uh, series for that that reason i understand and again we're going to talk about some of these stories that you walk between the raindrops and uh we've mm-hmm. talked about this before the three books that you did about the relationship between jim kirk and uh and uh, gary mitchell uh my brother's keeper uh is was i guess the name of the whole series mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh really fleshed out again in in uh, flashback their their relationship and and how important they were to each other and you get a slight sense of it in where no man has gone before mm-hmm. the pilot um and you know and I've, everyone of course knows and loves the kirk spock relationship but yeah it's 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 cool that you had that they gave you that opportunity yeah to, uh, to oh, tell yeah. stories. 
I, I was I was I was very fortunate. You know, um, um, that was that was something I like to do. I like to shine light in dark corners of the of the Star Trek universe. Um, and and uh, the Brothers Keeper trilogy was 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 you know one example of that. My my favorite scene there is um and and it's funny it, it was a scene that i thought of before i it's it's you know it's a trilogy it was a scene that i thought of before i wrote anything else and usually my my style is to you know jump around uh today i'm going to write this scene tomorrow i'm going to write that scene it doesn't matter where it is that's what i feel like doing today and and i think i'll do a good job as a result but in this in this case I didn't write that scene until the end of near the end of the third book, which is where it comes up. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's a scene where, you know, um, Gary's death is sort of glossed over, you know, uh, by Starfleet. They say, you know, he died bravely and they don't really give the details because they don't want to let that become common knowledge about the sure. black barrier. Right. Right. But, um, but Kirk goes to Gary's parents and tells them the truth about, you know, they say, Oh, Jim, it's so good to see you. <coughs> you know, you were such a good friend to Gary. And he says, yeah, sit down. Yeah. Cause I got to tell you, what happened and and he has to tell them that he's the one right. who killed gary yeah so that that was a it was it was a hard scene to write but i think you know it kind of it kind of gave it, it gave energy to the whole trilogy the idea knowing that that was coming up and and it for me it colored the whole trilogy as i was writing it well, and now you know. Not only does it show the dynamics of their relationship, but also you get them on the USS uh, Republic, and then you get in the second novel, the Constitution. 
and then finally them on Enterprise. And that's the great thing, man. No, you really get to ex explore both characters right. uh, uh, through yeah. through their lives till the end of Gary's life, obviously. Pretty yeah. cool. Man. It was Excellent. it was it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. Uh here I'm gonna go to the comments. Brad wanted to know who you think it's easier right. to write, Kirk or Picard. Um I think uh, I think it's a little easier to write Picard. You know, I I think both of them, both of those characters come to me pretty easily, but Picard is easier. Um, the more times you can say number one, the more that dialogue sounds like Picard. Okay. You know? Interesting. So, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let's take a closer look. Number one. <laughs> and then it's Picard. He said number one. It's got to be Picard. That's so, so, you know, engage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I do a much better impression of, of Picard without hair. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we jump to some of your Picard books that are among my favorites, I did want to point out Shadows on the Sun because it's a great look at McCoy. And, you know, we always hear about – it's interesting – it always seems like uh, we heard more about McCoy's daughter than we did uh, the ex-wife. And uh, this is such a great story that takes place in kind of the TOS movie era, uh, you know, and the, the maroon, uh, the maroon uniforms and everything. And uh, yeah, they go to a planet where uh, McCoy's ex-wife is now an important uh, statesman and mm -hmm. part of the diplomacy and everything that they have to deal with. And it's great because you really, you, you really see, you see bones, uh, a kind of, you know, a little, a little uncomfortable. And whereas, whereas right. usually bones is the one who, whether he's happy or not, you know, it's, it's, he doesn't hold back and he's not, you know, he always wears his emotions on his sleeve, but yeah, right. tell me about that book. All right. If bones isn't happy, nobody's happy. Right. <laughs> um, I, uh, what happened is, um, a woman who was in charge Carla Mason was was the woman in charge at the time of um, of uh, the licensing department at at Paramount, mm -hmm. and um, uh, she uh, she came to New York to visit, and one of the and you know we and and there was there was me and Bob Greenberger and Peter David and. Um, Dave Stern, I think, who was, I think, the, the editor, um, or maybe it was John Ordover. I'm not sure who was the editor at the time, but um, uh, um, we talked about projects. You know, what would you like to do in the near future? And uh, one of the things we talked about was doing, <coughs> excuse me, was doing, um, uh, books that focused on the biographies of the lesser characters, right? So, you know, uh, McCoy and Scotty and, um, uh, and Ohura and Chekhov, you know, um, Sulu. And, and this was the one that I wanted to do. I said, I want to do the Bones-centric book. And, uh, and so I got a chance, I got a chance to do this. Um, one of the things that I really loved about this book um, was the 
the the um, the culture that in in which it took place, the planetary culture. Um, it was it was a culture in which assassination is very highly regarded. Right, there is nothing shameful or controversial about it. A good assassin is is you know there's nothing better, and and I kind of juxtaposed this this um, this highly regarded agent of death with McCoy, who's a highly regarded agent of life. Right, he saves lives, and this other guy destroys lives, and and the the interaction between them, I thought was. Was was you know very very kind of stimulating for me, right? I I think more than anything else, I like to write dialogue. You know, if I could write just dialogue, that'd be okay with me. You know, which which is good because it's you know when you write a comic, it's not that much more than that from from the writer's standpoint. Certainly, and um, uh, I love dialogue, and there was some great opportunities to write to write dialogue between these two guys butting heads and what i had to do is you know as as you can imagine i had to make i had to give them equal weight you know i i didn't want to just have mccoy being right about it and the other guy being wrong <coughs> excuse me i had to I had yeah. to um to show both sides of that coin and convince the reader hopefully um by the end that, gee, you know, the other guy had a point. Absolutely. You know, um, and forgive me, Mike, I don't know if we talked about this last time. I um, The way uh, Strange New World's first season ended, and we're all anticipating season two, um, <laughs> number one, Una uh, gets taken away because it's discovered that um, she is uh, from uh, a race that uh, – I want to say uh, augments, but I forget what uh, the word was for cons people. Uh, eugen well, the eugenics wars, but uh, the um, you know that they were they were genetically they were genetically manipulated. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I you know it's really interesting um, because I see a lot of younger people who come to Star Trek now, and they see it as discrimination. And I understand that, and 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 again, it's the great thing about art take it in and, you know, interpret it your own way. But just like you said that you need to show equal weight, I you know that this is going to come to some sort of hearing. Just like in the case of, we never saw the hearing, but certainly like on Deep Space Nine, when Bashir was revealed to be an augment and, and uh, genetically en enhanced, right, right. that, well, wait a minute, that's one of our tenements that, no, we don't allow people in Starfleet for that. I hope to see that kind of equal weight because I think the younger people aren't aware of, of the history of eugenics, mm -hmm. not only during, uh, you know, uh, Hitler's time in Nazi Germany, but even here in, in the, sure. uh, the, the States where yeah. it really was a practice. And it's like, well, you've got to give equal weight because the, the Star Trek writers of the sixties, when they, when they created Khan were saying, don't make the mistake of our past. That's why we're against it. And so I really hope that that has that kind of equal weight because I think it's a valid, argument against and i'm i really just hope it doesn't become this polemic of oh yeah i'm really sorry you're right we we are discriminating it's like no man there's there's a, there's a real reason why right. and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it yeah i i hope they do um 
I hope they do. They, you know, they've done pretty well over the years. I say they, it's not a different, you know, different writing staffs. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Over the years. One that, one, um, that comes to mind, um, is a measure of a man. The best, the, one of the best next generation stories. Right. Go ahead and say your thing and then I'll. Yeah. 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 So it's data, it's data. And, and the question is, is he, is he a living being? Does he have the rights uh, of, uh, of a living being in that society? And, uh, you know, they kind of, they, they didn't know, you know, they didn't weigh in all on one side. It was, you know, I thought it was pretty well done. You know, though, and then uh, I, I got to be honest, man, that uh, season of Picard, the first season, they kind of blew it out of the water. And I really like, because I mean, especially even to the point of the concern was, well, then maybe we'll make a thousand datas or whatever. And they do. And it's like, wait a minute, what did you do 20 years ago, man? And I guess, you know, the, I suppose you could argue that po policies change, politics change, and whatever. I just, I'm like, wow, you really kind of shit, frankly. And this is my yeah. word, everybody. But you really shit all over measure of a man. Yeah. This way. And then also, I don't know how you feel, but uh, hey, let's make Picard an android. I'm like, well, then he's dead. I mean, and, you know, it's like, it's like, what are you doing, man? I, I, it was, I, really, I have big hopes for the third season. Terry Metalis seems to be a guy that really understands and respects the canon. But yeah, any your thoughts on any of that garbage? And <laughs> <laughs> I say garbage uh, by my interpretation right. of it, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I thought Picard um, was a mixed bag. You know, I thought there were some good things there. I was I was happy to see. You know. Um, uh, Riker and Troy and, sure. and and you know there was some there was some good stuff there. Uh, I really like the way it opens, where you know Picard's got you know you know Romulan servants essentially, right? I really liked some of that, and I but um, there were there were plot holes and and weird things happening in Picard that I didn't like so much. Um, you know, and, and also the, some of the choices that they made, not, not necessarily even when it came to big stuff, but little stuff like, you know, in the, in the last episode, you know, just when things are, are hitting the fan, you know, Picard takes a nap, takes a, takes a nap, like, you know? No, I hear you. That wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened in Sons of Hercules. Absolutely not in those great movies. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. The uh, yeah. no, or, or you know, well, we have to be careful. We can't we can't screw up the timeline. Well, they leave Rios back in the twenty first century, and it's like, isn't that a problem? Aren't you breaking right, right. butterflies there? Or, problem, right? And, right. Or, or the um, midway through the season two, where uh, they uh, Rios is on the bus with all the other people being. Uh, you know, grabbed by ice and taken out of the country and stuff. And it's like, all right, they rescue him. But it's like, uh, what about all these other aliens that would have likely have gone where they would have mm -hmm. unfortunately been deposed to, uh, as opposed to, you know, just setting them free. Some of the people they killed that the Borg queen killed. I'm like, yeah, aren't right, those right, butterflies? Right. All right, whatever, man. I mean, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, some of us right. are, 
you know, we're, we're no sci-fi nerds, so we pay attention to nonsense like that. We all read <laughs> A Sound of Thunder, the great Ray Bradbury story, right. where the butterfly effect right. first comes from. Sure. You know, yeah, whatever. All right, and all right, let's get back to positive stuff with some of your great books. And really, let's, I mean, a couple of Picard books that I loved, and um, two of them really don't deal with Picard's past, Dead of Winter, or Death in Winter, pardon me. Winter. Really, really cool. Great look at, uh, and there you see the silhouette of Beverly uh, behind mm -hmm. uh, Picard, but their relationship. And, I, and that's another thing I'm looking forward to in season three is how they confront each other and mm -hmm. what's happened since All Good Things and now Picard season three of them being together again. I saw, I got to hang out a little bit with Gates McFadden at a con uh, last summer. Oh. Uh, oh my God. Oh, she is so oh. sweet. Lovely woman. Wonderful woman. And she was so excited. And she's like, I'm telling you, this season is going to be great. Metallus gave me so much fun stuff to do. She's like, honestly, she goes, you're going to love it. She goes, I know you're a real fan. You're going to love it. I'm like, Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have been speechless. She's amazing. She, she and Frakes. Frakes were, was incredibly kind to me as well. So, because, you know, it's like, you don't want to be that guy. And I'm like, hey, you know, sorry, but. And they're like, no, no, it's cool. And I'm like, okay, great. So, no, they were they were terrific to me. But let's talk, yeah, let's talk about Death in Winter. What a, what a great idea. What a great story to really explore this unrequited love that, you know, obviously he had for Beverly. And then, you know, she ends up with his best friend, Jack Crusher. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that was, that was a controversial book because, because, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, I guess I can spoil it. You know, the, the, it, it, it came out like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, but um, the, the, um, the death that it, we we're suggesting you look at the cover and you can see we're suggesting that the death that takes place is Beverly's. And we did that on purpose. Like, gee, if fans think she could die in this, they'll be so eager to read this book. And they were, but you know, they were ticked off too because you know, you're going to kill Beverly. You know, we, we never said that, but we kind of implied it. So they were ticked off. We were getting letters, crazy letters from awesome. from, from fans, and uh, I guess it didn't hurt sales. But but you know, I was I was scared for my life for a while there. Really? You know, like, I'm just a writer here. You know, don't <laughs> don't kill me. Just a story. Yeah, it's just a story. And uh, and in fact, I you know, I guess I could say you know, it, obviously, it's not Beverly who who dies there, but. Um, uh, what I, what I wanted to do there was give Beverly a chance to do Beverly like things, but also non Beverly like things. You know, make her a little bit of an action figure, um, and uh, take her take her out of her comfort zone, and uh, and and you know have her fighting for her life and and doing clever things, the kind of things you would more readily associate maybe with a uh, Riker or even Worf. Um, and, uh, and she, she pulls it off. Um, yeah. and, and of course who wouldn't, you know, you know I, I go back to like the very first Star Trek book I ever wrote uh, was called double double. And oh, you know, love, yeah, the Kirk, uh, Kirk confronting his Android double from right. what little girls are made of. Absolutely. Right. So, 
so uh, you know, I remember when my agent said to me, "So, you know, would you want to write a Star Trek book?" <laughs> I was like, "Heck, yeah!" I mean, putting words in the mouths of Kirk and Spock and <coughs> excuse me, I said, "Absolutely." Well, I had the same reaction when they said, "You know, you want to do a book about, you know, t- to kick off our our um uh our our uh prose." season eight basically right our season eight in prose you want to you want to kick that off and 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 something maybe about picard and beverly i was like heck yeah absolutely yeah that's who wouldn't want to do that that's great man yeah and again walking between the raindrops i mean you know filling in filling in the blanks of this this great relationship um before we before we wrap up i also want to acknowledge the valiant uh, because I love again. This is uh, Picard uh, pre Stargazer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when he's an officer yeah. on on the Valiant, and uh, you give us a new captain to look at as well. Um, that's got to be because you want a captain, a Federation captain, to feel like he's one, like the Mercury Seven. As different as they are, we think mm-hmm. of them as a group, you know, or any of any of the classic Apollo and even modern uh, uh, astronauts and stuff. Um, but yeah, so like, what what was your thinking in terms of? And I, right now, I know he's a Hispanic gentleman. What was uh, what was the captain's name? Do you remember from the Valiant? Oh, I see. Hmm. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot again. I um, I don't. But I, I had the book over there. I could probably figure it out. I was going to say. I know. I know. You, you say it like right at the beginning because I was uh, when I was trying to screen cap. The hang color. on one second. Here, pardon my belly button. Here, no worries, see. man. No. All right. Um, let's see which one of us is going to get it first. Let's see, <laughs> right? Right? Oh, Carlos Tarasco. Uh, Car- it was it Carrasco, yeah. Oh, Carrasco, Carlos Tarasco, right? The very yeah. first words in the book. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, what'd you do in terms of like coming up with his persona? Well, I knew that he was going to be, you know, uh, uh, sacrificed. You know, he was he was a um, he was a um, he got the word out about about what what the galactic barrier had had done to him and his crew, um, and and we knew that we knew that that the message had gotten out. And, you know, so it wasn't going to be a lighthearted romp for this guy. You know, we knew that he was going to be, you know, at, at, at the end of his rope and just barely managing to get the, the word out. So he was going to be a heroic character and a, a self-sacrificing character. And, um, and so that's what I was thinking when I was, when I was writing him. One of the great joys of, of, uh, of writing Star Trek is coming up with new captains and crews. Right, it's yeah. It's, like, yeah. It's, it's the most fun you can have as a Star Trek writer, and uh, and when I wrote the um, the uh, Stargazer books, um, where um, uh, you know you see Picard and his old crew, as you do in this book, um, yes. uh, um, it, it was a joy because you only you only knew there was a that Picard was the captain, and there was there was. Um, one character mentioned in the battle um uh 
there was one character mentioned, Mor- Morgan, Morgan, I think it was. Um, and, uh, and outside of that, was it Morgan? I think it was. Anyway, there was one character mentioned in the, in the episode, the battle in the first season of, of next generation. Mm. And then, and that's all you knew. So you had, you had a, a, you know, a blank slate that you could, that you could, uh, fill in. And it was fun. It was, you know, there's nothing more fun than coming up with a crew, you know? And Yeah. Uh, well, and you, you got know. that, you got that uh, much like any military, uh, branch of the United States and stuff. Starfleet has this perception of the best of the best. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's a good template, but obviously there's plenty of room to, to fill in different personalities and, and quirks and whatever, you know, there's going to be a, uh, uh, a doctor, you know, there's going to be a first officer, you know, there's going to be a science officer. There is going to be, you know, a helmsman and a navigator and, and, uh, and you know, you know what the slots are and, and you just got to fill them in with interesting, interesting people. Um, in, in the stargazer, um, uh, the, um, helm and navigation, um, uh, uh, positions were filled by identical twins <laughs> that was it that was an interesting and and that actually became a springboard for uh a, for a story in one of the um stargazer books it did a series of six stargazer books and the third one was called three and 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 uh, people were going well yeah of course it's three but what's what's the title of it and i was you know no 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 that's the title three because um, the and the um, stargazer uh, uh, comes into contact with a an alternate universe, and one of the twins comes over, and now you have the two twins, Gerda and Idun, and <laughs> and this other one, and her name is Gerda Idun, and you go well, but which one is she? You know, which which twin is she? And um, and it changes the dynamic because when you're used to being a twin and now there's a third one, you know, it's like, well, which one of you, which are you me? Are you my sister? Should I be close with you? Should I be closer with you than with her? You know, should we all be close? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, uh, it, it changes the dynamic. I thought that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, it was interesting in that, in that way. That's great, man. And you know, it's it's such a th- well. There's the Stargazer episode where the Ferengi uh, guy who's got the revenge with Picard finds the Stargazer and reamps it and stuff. But yeah. I always love and you did the uh, novelization of uh, the James Doohan episode Relics, right. and I love that scene when they're in the holodeck and uh, Scotty's sitting in the uh, on the Enterprise, his Enterprise's bridge. And Picard says, you know, I my first captaincy was with the Stargazer. This ship is a thousand times better in so many ways. But there are days where I wish I was captain of the Stargazer again. <laughs> and and that's that says it all about his relationship with his crew and his ship, his first ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's great that you got the opportunity to write so many Stargazer stories. Uh yeah, I, I think it's cool. I you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm Again, it's you know it, it it deepens the character and it gives us more to think about beyond what we got in those seven seasons. There's a, a Stargazer short story um, in one of the anthologies. 
I think it's in the Dominion War. I was going to ask because I haven't bought that anthology, and I'm very curious about what you did with the Dominion War. Go on. It's a great anth. Never mind my story. It's a great anthology. You know, Keith DeCandido is the editor, and he did a great job. And and the stories, you know, again, it's a war, and war just brings out you know great story opportunities. So this one was called Perchance to Dream. And I can't tell you too, again, I can't tell you too much about it. No, I want to read it. That's good. You know, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I will say it's a a Stargazer crew story. And it takes place during the Dominion War um, on a a world... um, Dominated by the Gem Hadar, I think it would be. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited. And, all right. And it all comes out in dialogue. Everything that, you know, lots and lots of dialogue in this. Good. <laughs> That's great, man. No, yeah. you know, I uh, I remember too that although it really wasn't addressed on in the movies as far as what the Next Generation cast was doing with the Dominion War while it was being played out on Deep Space Nine, the set, the, you know, yeah. But um, I uh, also the first Cardassian War, I would think is a great area to learn to learn about. And I always I always felt like we got cheated. Um, it was intimated, I think, in the two parter when Spock showed up on Next Generation Unification. But I would have loved to have seen the political debate or even the personal debate between Sarek and Spock regarding the Cardassians, because I have a feeling that Sarek would have been. Like, uh, we can't deal with these people. We have no choice but to go to war. Whereas Spock would always be like, well, there's always possibilities. You can't have a closed mind. And I think, like mm-hmm. I said, I, I would have I liked to have seen that conversation play out. And it plays out in my brain. But, you know. <laughs> there's, there's uh, you know, that, hmm, that was something I probably should have thought of. The, um, you know, uh, uh, I did a, um, a book called Crossover um, where um, – where it actually part one meaning of the crossover is that um, it's it's a next generation book, but it guest stars Spock, uh, McCoy, and uh, Scotty. Yep, it's kind of a crossover in that sense. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It and but and and it's about Spock um, during the the um, the the most dangerous part of the reunification process. And um, Sarek is Sarek is in that book. I just, uh, I just, I don't think they talked about that particular thing. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't remember. I'm gonna have to reread that because I've got I've got yeah. a crossover. But yeah, I didn't remember Sarek being in it. And certainly by unification, he's uh, listen. You know. I hope he's in it. Now that I've said he's in it, I hope. And if he's not, I'm gonna write him in. That a boy. There you go. <laughs> One of the that's moments of probably uh, i mean of my life not just of my star trek career but i was at a convention in massachusetts uh it's a, it was a convention um whose proceeds went to make a wish okay nice and, um uh the the media guest was mark leonard uh. and i was a guest there too and some other people who, whose names you you'd recognize and um mark and the people who ran the convention were able to get a unification part one 
to show at the convention before it aired on wow. eight days before it aired on, cool. uh, oh. on, uh, on television. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And then, and, and so I'm sitting next to, next to Mark Leonard, watching him watch Sarek, you know, in, you know, meet his end. And you could see he's, he's kind of like assessing his performance. And I'm looking at him, looking at, at the screen, and I'm like, how cool is this? I'm, you know, what, what a moment. I can, I can kind of see where he's going, yeah, that worked. And then him going, eh, I could have done that a little better. <laughs> Man, he is King Lear in that moment. I mean, yeah. really, and yeah. and I think we did talk about this before, Mike. But poor, uh, I think his name—I don't even remember what his name is—the guy who currently plays Sarek in Discovery. Those oh. are those are such huge shoes to fill. Yeah, and I'm sorry yeah. to say the guy needs a little uh, padding in the toe to kind of fit in the shoes because <laughs> he, I, I, you know, and it's so funny. I literally was just watching Star Trek Five again because I have no life and I've <laughs> seen it like a hundred times, but. Even that moment, and it's just Mark Leonard's voice, but uh, Cybox shows Spock's birth. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment, and, and the physical actor really pulled it off as well, but you just hear Mark Leonard's so human. And it's just this great note of disappointment. My favorite scene, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, is in Star Trek Four at the end, where it's it's Mark and it's uh, Leonard, and they're, uh, he's like, you know, I seem to remember initially I was against you joining Starfleet. Maybe that was a wrong decision. These these associates of yours, they're of good character. And Spock goes, they're my friends. And and it's great because Sarek just bristles and he's like, he suddenly goes back into country club Vulcan mode of, oh yeah, that friend bullshit about humans. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, yes, of course. And it's great. I mean, and that's like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, I, I, you know, uh, Ethan Peck has warmed up on me being mm-hmm. Spock. In the new show, I wasn't crazy about him in the short treks and in season two of Discovery, but I think he is. I think he's found his voice. I'm not yeah. a fan of Zachary Quinto. I think, I, well, there are different circumstances. He loses his planet. He loses Amanda, but he's just always pissed off. It seems, and he has more of a. I think he has more difficulty just doing the blank Vulcan poker face that Nimoy did so effortlessly. That Tim Russ, I think, did effortlessly on Voyager as well. And the other actors have managed to get that kind of, you know, blank face, you know, look or whatever. But uh, I always felt like Zachary Quinto was just kind of pissed off the way he plays Spock. I don't know. Well, I think part of that was the direction. You know, he 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 was supposed to be the Spock of the first, what, three episodes of before they really nailed Spock down. So he was the right of the first few episodes. And then. You know, Ohura was the Ohura of those episodes, and so there was like a little thing going on there. And um, I think that's probably at least partly because of the the marching orders that he had. Whereas, um, I mean, Ethan Peck, first of all, does a great. He's just a, does a great job. And but that also that's partly because you know he's put in that position. You know, it's like. I don't have to tell you, you know, you're, um, uh, you know, like uh, if you're the manager of the Cubs, right? 
and you're you're putting everybody in a position to succeed, then you know maybe they will. Maybe. Uh, whereas you know maybe at least once, it's right? It's like, well, yeah, exactly. I was going to say you're 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 digging the knife in my heart when you said it comes. I hear you, man. But it, yeah, at least, you know, I, I I knew I knew you you know you'd be interested <laughs> in that. So you know, I mean, it was at least once in in recent memory, it worked. I hear that's so funny, man. You're right. You know, well, thank God we got one in at least. But I, uh, you know, and the other thing about the new show about Strange New Worlds, and uh, and like I said, Mike, I hope I'm not repeating myself with you, uh, but um, to Pring, I think it's interesting they brought her in. But again, she was like almost a femme fatale in Amok Time, the original yeah, series episode, yeah. where it, and and I think they're making her too sympathetic in Strange New Worlds. And well, it's like, you know, and and also the fact that in the original episode, it was an arranged marriage. They hadn't met since, or maybe even at eight years old, they didn't meet. I mean, you only see that baby picture of T'Pring, and then you see her as an adult in the rest of the episode. I I, I mean, first of all, I, I, I like what they've done with her, but I'm, I'm also of the mind that once something's established, you leave it established. And if that's, as you say, if she, if, you know, there are millions of things you can write about. You don't have to, you don't have to retcon, <coughs> you don't have to retcon to Pring or anyone else, you know, write a story about someone else. Um, you know, I, I, yeah. I think if, if, you know, if the, if we never, if we didn't run into the Ferengi for hundreds of years, don't put them in an episode of Enterprise. Don't don't do that. There are so many other things to do. I agree with that. You know, instead of uh, and I, by the way, I love both the actress and the way they've written Nurse Chapel in Strange New Worlds. It is really inconsistent with what we got with Major Barrett in the original series. What I think they should have done instead was, and again, this shows you my I'm, I obsess far too much about Star Trek, but. Uh, I, Jill Ireland's character from the original series that they even established that yeah. she had a crush on Spock when they were younger and that that would have been an interesting choice to put on Pike's Enterprise and yeah. and and show yeah. more of that because even after Spock you know he hits the he gets hit by the spores his emotions are totally free I love you and everything but even when he's back being reserved again you can tell he still has feelings for her and and again, I think that would have been much better than the unrequited love we got originally with with uh, Major Barrett's portrayal yeah. of Chapel, you know. But that again, that's me. You could, uh, you know, they could still put to Pring in a place where she doesn't want to be married to Spock. You know, they could still redeem. Sure, part of that. that's fair. Yeah, but but you know, as you say. You know, supposedly he hasn't seen her for a long, long time, and here, quite clearly, he sees quite a bit of her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also the links that she goes to uh, in a muck time that is still there in their future, um, and she almost has Jim Kirk killed. And it's yeah. like, hey, man, how do you have sympathy for this woman when right. she goes to that degree? So it is going to be interesting if they play with that in any way. Oh, and I got to ask you, Mike, and I'm so sorry. I hope I'm not keeping you too long, but I, all right, good. I got to, I, I don't think we talked about uh, the new guy playing Jim Kirk. And I got to be honest. I, 
again, maybe like Ethan Peck, he will grow into the role. But I really think Jim Kirk is like Jack Kennedy, PT 109 era, or young Abe Lincoln, where because I've I've seen the arguments against him. I'm like, command and charisma are what you need from Kirk. I didn't feel any of that from this guy. He said all the right things. His actions were all the right things, maybe in that revamp of um the uh, the enemy within or whatever whatever the name of that uh, first Romulan episode was that they were playing with. Balance of terror. Balance of terror, of course. Thank you, man. Uh at a point. But uh but yeah, I don't you know, remember the name of my books, but I do remember that. <laughs> That's where you got the gigs. That's all right. I uh but yeah, I'm like, um he he just didn't resonate that charisma and that that uh command that I think even Ensign Jim Kirk or Lieutenant Kirk, because a lot of people were saying, well, you know, this is before he had the Enterprise and maybe this is a year, earlier part in his career. I'm like, no, man, Jim Kirk is a guy ever since he beat the Kobayashi Maru where all the superiors are like, who's that guy? We got to pay attention to that guy because he's going places. I didn't yeah. get that from this guy playing Jim Kirk. I didn't either. I didn't either. I thought I thought he didn't particularly look like Kirk. Um, uh, I didn't, I, 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 again, I think it may, it may have been the direction. It may have been the writing. I don't know. They, you know, they, he, he clearly was, you know, it, it seemed like he had been given two words, gunboat diplomat. Oh, he's a gunboat diplomat. Oh yeah, I, I can do that. <coughs> Ignoring the other aspects of the full yeah. character and and so that yeah it was almost like a uh, caricature yeah, okay. and i and and like you said earlier i think it was direction that likely uh did do it i, I keep hearing rumors that anson mount uh took direction and said yeah okay but it was like uh, i've seen the cage i know i'm a star trek fan i know what christopher pike means and did his own thing and i kept hearing rumors that they weren't crazy about that uh, on the production side, but then they saw the tidal wave of all of us who had been hating on Discovery going, we like that guy. We want a hell of a lot more with that guy. And I'm sure he would have come back in some sort of guest capacity or whatever, but I, I you know, whatever. I just think his Anson Mount really gets it. And I, I loved when Jeffrey Hunter played him. I liked when Bruce Greenwood did him in the, in the JJ movies, mm -hmm. but you know, uh, oh, it's funny. Warren's got a couple comments. Uh, people forget that Kirk said he would rather run than fight uh, and start than start a war in Balance of Terror. That's a good point. Yeah, right. Good, so, good point. Absolutely, man. But yeah, your thoughts on yeah. that? Uh, uh, I was at a convention uh, pre-COVID. Pre I was at a convention um, with uh, Anson Mount and Ethan Peck. And these guys, you could just tell. They got it. They knew what they were doing. They had a, a, a genuine affection for Star Trek, and and uh, and respect for it, and um, and they had their heads on straight. So so even before I saw much of them on screen, I I knew that they would be good in the in these roles. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes the guests at these cons um, show up, do their thing, maybe do it very well. And then you never see them again. And then other times, you know, they're, they'll be, uh, you know, maybe judging the masquerade or something like that. Like they'll get a little more involved. Sure. These guys, 
these guys, you know, one o'clock in the morning, these guys were in the bar. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Surrounded by writers and fans and, 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 and loving it. That's great. You know, so it wasn't, um, you know, you, you, you could tell they were into it and they're, and, and, and they knew what they were doing. And, and I agree. I think, you know, I think his, um, uh, his, his court, first of all, I think he's a great actor, period. And, and, and Ethan Peck as well. Don't forget Ethan Peck has a very, has, has a, a harder uh, uh, um, challenge because, you know, he's got to work within the parameters of the Vulcan psyche. But, um, but they both, I think, do a great job. I agree. Brad says Paul's Wesley's Kirk reminds him of Kirk in the first season of TOS. I, again, I think, I think Kirk had more command and charisma than, than what Paul Wesley is showing. And also, he's too thin. He just yeah, he doesn't, doesn't look very formidable. Why, you know, I'm sure he's a terrific actor and a wonderful person. Yeah, he is. But I've seen him in Vampire Diaries and other things he's done. He is a good actor. Yeah. I just think miscast. Miscast. And and why? And why? What was it about him that was so compelling where they said, that guy has to be Kirk? I honestly, and again, Mike, this everybody listening and watching, this is me saying it. I think the producers feel like there's room for only one alpha male on each show. If, if if there is an alpha male on the other shows, especially of the new Trek shows, and that Pike was always going to win, and it's like, no, no, well, so, these are two good guys that are coming at this problem with two different ways. Just like I was saying about the eugenics stuff, it's like you've got to give equal weight, and especially right. with a character like Jim Kirk. You know, right, right, the the iconic Star Trek character. I mean, you've you've. Uh, read enough comics to know you know when a guy guest stars in your comic yeah you give the edge to the guy whose name is on the is on the uh, the, uh, on the cover yes uh, but but you got to give a lot of weight to the other hero because he's a hero and he's right. got his own comic right so you know you have to you have to you have to uh you know give that give that uh that equal weight as as we were saying, I hear and, you. Uh, yeah, and and it was just it was it was it was it was too too skewed a portrayal of of Kirk, I think. It, well, there it, was no there was no was, charisma. I mean, again, he said all he said all the right things. I could appreciate his plans. I just didn't see that that Jim Kirk cockiness. Yeah, uh, and I oh. think that that Chris Pine was able to channel in a different way than doing a Shatner imitation. But you saw that confidence. You saw that charisma. Well, it, it, confidence and and self doubt, in a funny way, balancing both those things. This guy, uh, this gentleman who 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 portrayed Kirk in uh, in the episode we're talking about, he really didn't have either. He didn't have any of the self doubt, and he didn't have any of the sure sure handedness of command. You know, I think. I think to be a to be a a good commander, you have to have both. You have to say to yourself, once I make a decision, it's made. But before I get to that point, I'm going to question myself a dozen times. You know, and also, you know, building on what you just said, he just lost his ship in that episode. And where was that? I mean, where where was any of that? And you would think there's a bit of 
frustration, uh, humility. I mean, you know, yeah, that that uh, that kind of thing. And we saw none of that. And it, again, it's like I, that's why I I I liked. I kind of sensed we were to get some sort of episode of an "It's a Wonderful Life" spin of. Okay, you want to save these kids, but there might be consequences. And I love mm-hmm. that framework. But to use balance of terror within that framework, they just I, I felt like I was watching a high school production of of balance of terror that is kind of missing the mark. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 You could have you could have done it without. I mean, I think, you know, for some reason the writers feel compelled to to uh, to tie into something in the continuity. I don't think at this point you have to. I don't think, I it, I don't think, it's, I don't think it's a plus. It, it, it doesn't have to be a minus, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily a plus. Just tell your story and don't worry about tying it in so much. Well, we know he's coming. Paul Wesley's coming back for the second season. We've seen uh, set photos of him with, uh, you know, uh, Khan's, uh, Khan's descendant, uh, Laan. So we'll see what happens. Warren uh, has an interesting comment about uh, the the other women. He says maybe they'll leave room for Tapri to get cold blooded. She is different. Uhura, he says, is way too little sister. Even a younger Uhura would be more womanly. They have definitely altered characters, though. Chapel in Strange New Worlds is most in- is more interesting. Well, yeah, they give her more to do, and she's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love what Majel did, but I mean, you know, and again, it was the '60s, so you're gonna have the kind of Betty Cooper crush on Archie. Oh, yeah. God, I wish he'd look at me. And I and I get that. And yeah. she did have yeah. some great... God, uh, Naked naked Time, she's fantastic when when she just kind of pours her out to him. Or I love uh, what little girls are made of and Roger Corby and her and everything. That's all really good. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I love that, that episode. You know? Oh, my God. Sherry... Um, the Make One for Daddy, older sister. I can't think of her. Uh, Sherry Jackson. Oh, Sherry Jack. Oh. Come Sherry. on. All of us as kids. Good Lord. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. That, was, that was lovely. <laughs> she was lovely. And man, Ted Cassidy. Ted Cassidy doesn't need makeup. Just put Ted Cassidy out there with that voice yeah. and that size and that face. Oh, my yeah. God. Rock. Oh, Rock. So good. Uh, yeah, so yeah, good. He, yeah, he was, he was great. If they Go, ahead, Go ahead. If he didn't exist, they'd have to invent him, right, for that episode. <laughs> Richard Keel, too, in a different um, – yeah, there's Ted Cassidy and Richard Keel. Absolutely. I saw Richard Keel once at a WonderCon uh, when it was uh, still in San Francisco. And, oh, my God. I mean, just his, his feet alone were, like, you know, the size of, like, watermelons. It was insane how big the guy was. And very sweet, very nice guy. But uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm bummed. Both of them died way too young. I wish I wish yeah. Ted Cassidy had uh, – we'd got it's a few sad. more years of performances. Absolutely, man. Bummer. Bummer. They All right, well, what do they call it? Uh, oh, the gigantism or whatever when they gigantism. are. They probably had organ problems yeah. and so on. Yeah. Oof. No, that's tough. Well, listen, there are uh, just over two weeks left in the Kickstarter campaign right. for right. Uh, Thales and other stories. And uh, let's get let's uh, get Mike over the top on this collection of short stories that feature sci-fi, fantasy, superhero stuff. Uh, procedurals and a lot more and uh that's great how many stories in total in the collection mike i i I think there will be eight or maybe nine it's going to depend you know honestly it's going to depend on the page count 
some of the stories like uh, Veneer and Delos are, are finished. Uh, some of them are partway finished. If it turns out that, you know, I've got eight stories and, and the page count's a little anemic, I'm going to write another one. I don't want, you know, okay. I don't want the book to be too, too sure. thin. So, uh, so that's, uh, it'll be eight, eight or nine. Excellent. Eight or nine stories. Well, and again, and the man, kind man. that I want to read, the kind that I want to read. That's, well, I hear you, man. And no, again, I think you've cultivated this audience that uh, we we know what you're capable of, and we we want to we want to support it. So that's great. And uh, hey, if uh, this story inspired some people to go check out the the Kickstarter for its Thalos and other stories, um, and uh, Mike, Michael Jan Freeman, and uh, really, man, I, no, I think you're I think you're killing it as always. And uh, I appreciate you indulging me with a healthy dose of Star Trek talk. But uh, I encourage everyone to go to you know Amazon or your uh, favorite bookstores. Uh, as far as uh, Mike's past work, but definitely support this Kickstarter. I think uh, these are going to be some fun stories. So, uh, Mike, as always, I'm really I'm, I'm glad you're hanging out. Thank you. Well, thank you, my my pleasure. And and I should plug as well our uh, Crazy Eight Press uh, uh, website, where you'll find not only a bunch of my books, um, uh, um, novels, short story collections, and and some of the work that I've edited. Uh, with my colleagues, but also great work from all those other other uh, medmen uh, at Crazy Eight Press. So yeah, check that out, Crazy Eight Press. Absolutely, Crazy Eight Press. Everybody, no, it's it's great stuff. Congratulations! I uh, any conventions coming up? Uh, I'm going uh, next month. I'll be um, at uh, Farpoint in uh, in Baltimore or outside Baltimore, um, which is a great convention. Um, and then, um, in May, I'll be at Long Island Trek, which, uh, which also promises to be terrific. And, uh, and, uh, the other convention I'm lined up for is, um, uh, Shore Leave in July. And, and you should come to Shore Leave, John. Oh, I would love that, Mike. Absolutely. No, Shore, yeah. Shore Leave's one of those great long running cons. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, um, which, which city is, uh, Shore Leave in? It's also uh, uh, just north of Baltimore. Oh wow! All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's food for thought, man. I'll have to. I'll see what I can do, man. I mean, you know, I'm I'm running Listen, out of time these days. I'll pick you up at the airport. You're too nice. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I really do hope we beyond zooming face to face and streamyarding face to face. I hope we get a chance to see each other in person sooner than later. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah. as always, Mike, I'm I, I'm so glad that uh, we had a chance to talk again. Anytime, man. You know that. I'm happy to have a new talk. So whenever you got something you need to promote or want to promote or just want to bullshit about Star Trek, you know where to find me. Okay. I, I appreciate that. As, as always, I appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, thanks for helping me boost the signal. My pleasure. Everybody, uh, next Monday. Uh, oh, God. What do I get? Now I'm blanking. Oh, next Monday. Mike, I don't know if you remember this terrible movie from 1968. Skidoo. Otto Preminger's terrible it's one of those, as Mike knows, because Mike and I are old guys, there was a time when the older generation really tried to figure out the hippie generation, right, the right. culture of the 60s, and failed miserably pretty much every time. Right, right. And Skidoo is a classic example of this. It's Jackie Gleason tripping on acid. It's Carol Channing tripping on acid and doing a striptease for Frankie Avalon. Yikes. Groucho Marx, his last film. Uh, Mickey Rooney, wow. so many other uh, Peter Lawford, 
uh, Burgess Meredith, this amazing cast, Don, or uh, Nielsen, I was going to say Donovan. Nielsen sings the closing credits. Wow. It's a very weird 1968 I, movie. I've never is, heard of this. Well, it's on YouTube, everybody, and we'll be talking about it next Monday on Word Balloon Live and my, my scene-missing uh, partners, uh, Gabriel Hardman and Ian Brill. And we're going to subject ourselves to Skidoo. If you'd like to join us, you can watch it on YouTube and then uh, watch us talk about it next Monday night. Skidoo. That sounds great. That's great. Now, curious. There you go, man. Well, I can send you the link if you're that curious, Mike. Until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. Mm -hmm.